The following podcast is brought to you by Magic Mind, a little elixir that boosts your energy, memory, and mood without a boatload of caffeine and healthy ingredients. Go to the link in the description to support the channel and use Broken Silicon 20 to get 20% off your first order. And it is also brought to you by CDKOffer.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, exhausted during a tax day, Tom. And I'm joined today, as I am on every news episode, by my co-host, Dan. <laughs> now, you also did your taxes today, to my understanding, but it sounds like yours took about an hour. Yeah, I still hate doing taxes every year because it's like, I'm just reminded that, uh, we have this entire industry based around propping up two companies that really provide no service except for forcing me to pay a quarter of my tax return back to them for filing through them. So that was nice. Isn't it like in, I believe in France, like obviously if you're a freelancer, or you work in your own business, there's a reporting thing you have to do there. But like if you work for a major corporation that withholds taxes, you're just done. Of course, you don't have to file taxes. Your company withholded it, reported it to the government. And in fact, I believe in France, they like send you a card that breaks down what the government spent your money on so that everyone knows this percent went to defense, this percent went to that. Here, we're not given any of that. And we have to file. So it's really awesome in the United States. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, I, I don't quite know what the whole system is or why they can't figure out how much money I owe them based on like oh they can't the fact that I have income but you know whatever <laughs> well and so one thing I'm actually glad we can do is read reader mails which if you guys support us on Patreon you can submit reader mails to our episodes although I will I do want to do a disclaimer too in the beginning I've I, every now and then I see this I see people go why can't I speed up the Patreon player why can't I do this or that? Guys, you're giving a you're given a custom link for your RSS feed that you can put into any podcast app where you can speed it up, download them, keep them, do whatever you want. So just an just an FYI to all people listening on Patreon. There are thou uh, I mean, yeah, that over a thousand people that listen to these podcasts over paid uh, like through the Patreon subscription. You are given a custom link in an email. And you can check your Patreon account and clip it. You can put it in any podcast app. You do not need to use the Patreon player. In fact, Patreon encourages you not to. That's why they give you a custom link per account. So one of those people that supports us on Patreon, he writes in and he says, Cole Addict, hi, Tom. Why does no one pronounce Intel's XE super sampling as, as XS? Because it is X-E-S-S. He says, it seems obvious that what they were going for with the naming, on a more serious note, do you think with GPUs getting so big and heavy because of their cooling that it will cause a resurgence of horizontal PC cases to avoid sagging? My answer for that one is no. Um, that's an, I, I, I don't know that anyone's really made a case. I'm sure they have horizontal specifically to avoid that. I'm sure someone has, but I've never thought about that would be the reason you would do it. Usually they put the cards on their side half the time now just to show it off in the case window. 
Yeah, well, we could get with the uh, A4090 Ti kickstand edition if it's big enough. Maybe that will ameliorate some of the problems with the weight. Yeah, I think it's much more likely that we're just going to get kickstands. Now, he Kolatic does point something out here. XESS, excess. Do you, th- I don't think, I don't think that was intentional. I think, they, I think you might be reading it. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be excess? If you pronounce, no, like XS. I don't, th- if they were going for that, I think they would have ha- said that in their uh, promotional thing. Oh, man. Do you, do, do you know how, arrogant that would have come off if they're like intel excess performance yeah you I, it makes you wonder if they intended that and then they really realized like, said it and they're like no no i want maybe we shouldn't do this I, no i i want to uh i want to jump off a bridge after hearing myself say that out loud I, <laughs> can we turn on the arrogance meter a bit you know and, and there are a lot of, i have heard this rumor like this whisper multiple times that one of the reasons microsoft called the xbox 1 the xbox 1 is they wanted to they were hoping the nickname for it would become the 1 oh no instead it was just everyone was confused about if you were referring to the xbox 1 or the xbox 1 well and uh and then everyone just called it x-bone which for xbox fanboys became an insults for some reason i was just like first of all i mean that's what they named it they called it the xbox one people are just going to abbreviate it x-bone ma'am second of all it's not like that's a swear word there there was i've seen some people in comment sections get so mad if you say x-bone which i don't because i feel silly saying it myself but i've seen people get visibly mad if you say x-bone like you're insulting their mother or something. I mean, when you have two products that are have virtually the same name but are vastly different, people are going to figure out ways to differentiate them because you kind of have to to have a conversation about it. Yeah, just don't take it so personally, guys. I don't understand. Yeah, no. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm just saying it. I saw people multiple times freak out if you said Xbone, and I was like, oh my god, it's a console, dude. Jesus. But let us move on okay. to gonna be okay. other things people are freaking out about in corrections and emissions. Now, one of the corrections, Dan, is actually one that was mailed to us. And I there this is one of the most elaborate. I this was one where the shipping got messed up, so it got sent back to his house, I believe, and then he had to mail it again. So I've got like three letters here from this person, which is Sarcastro, which I recognize from Reader Mails and the Moore's Laws at Discord. And I'm gonna be honest, Sarcastro. I don't think I have time to read all three of these letters, but most of it, Dan, is making fun of you for getting stuck in traffic in New York late last year. What we okay. have is Map My Neighborhood, a children's book. We have a The Onion, Our Dumb World Atlas. And we have a Smithsonian Children's Illustrated Atlas. And the joke seems to be that he says you are a child for getting stuck in Manhattan's traffic. And I don't even know what to make of this, everyone listening. Like, this is three books, multiple letters. He himself says this is probably... The most overdone joke in my life that I put way too much effort into. So he's on board. <laughs> and I don't want to read this because I think it comes off like he hates you or he thinks you're stupid. But there's no way he can think that, really, because the amount of effort 
put into this package we were mailed suggests more love than hate, and love and hate are close to each other. So he definitely, he supports us on Patreon, Dan. He <laughs> definitely cares about you to in some twisted way if he put this much effort into it. But yes, I, I don't know, Sarcastro, what to do here. Maybe he's the... Uh... That semi in Manhattan that almost uh, ran me off the road, and he feels bad about it now. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a lot of, uh, I'll, I'll send you this, Dan. We, we can maybe decide if we want to read it on a die shrink. I don't think we have time to, but he also seems to be mad that you may have said, you. I think you may have said east of the Mississippi for Lewis and Clark instead of west or something. And so he's mad you misspoke about that too, and that is also why... He included an if, atlas because you may have I'm messed up which of the side context. of the Mississippi Lewis and Clark was on. I'm trying to even think of the context and when I would have brought up Lewis and Clark. Like, that's not a thing. You know me, Tom. I don't bring up Lewis and Clark ever. <laughs> I, I, don't I know. I don't think I have once said Lewis and Clark outside of a, a school setting until now. Well, and... I don't know. I, I assume he's not. I don't think we're accusing him of lying, but Sarcastro, I don't know what to say. We appreciate your support. It's very clear that you are very unhappy with the navigational mistakes Dan has made last year. Yeah. And all we you can see. do is ask to do better. I will, next time I see Dan, make sure he gets all of these letters himself and the many insulting books you have sent him. <laughs> All right. Another correction from Carbon Cry. He says, hi, Tom, and insert guest name here. Don't read this. Well, I read it. Just a quick omission from me. In Broken Silicon 146, you responded to QH Freddy's question on GDDR5's long lifespan as a counterpoint to your information that we could be seeing GDDR7 already, already meaning maybe end of this year. You talked about the fast pace of GDDR6 improvement, tying it to DRAM, these are the nodes they manufacture DRAM on. Well, it, I'd just like to add that Samsung and SK Hynix are now using EUV on their latest DRAM nodes, accelerating scaling. And Micron now employs computational lithography, which is also supposedly boosting their DRAM node scaling. Not really a correction, just an omission of some interesting, relevant info. And I think he's suggesting... Like, they're implementing yeah. stuff right now that would allow them to go to vastly better speeds at lower voltage. Further suggesting GDDR7 is probably going to be here within a year. Well, I'll tell everyone, it, it, for sure, we'll be here within a year and a half. I'm about to leak some upcoming architectures that I know use it. But, you know, just supporting it. Because I think that was an undercover thing. I saw almost no one who covered my Lovelace leak talk about that GDDR7 snippet uh, i guess I mean, assuming I think, i'm crazy i don't know i don't know that and people are just going to naturally probably be more interested in things that are closer rather than further away i don't know uh, but i mean i don't i mean again you know it's all there guys we're getting close to where gddr7 is ready i'm 100 percent sure of that and i do believe lovelace is built to maybe support an early version of it i can't promise it will but again looking over some of the boards and we'll get to this later that igor's leaking um with the boards built for the 3090ti maybe also for the 4090 there's also evidence there it's meant to support vastly faster memory guys mm, i mean 
you know, we'll see. It would be really cool if GDR7 were here, I guess, later this year. But next year isn't uh, it's crazy at not all. a surprise at all. QH Freddy writes in, speak of the devil, he says, following on with that node advances in memory speed thing, do you think that faster memory speeds are directly enabled by the node advances, or do you think it's a product of the necessity when node advances increase compute performance, which in turn requires faster memory to feed it? Now, in other words, saying, yes, it's true when we've stagnated on nodes, RAM stagnates as well, which is made on those nodes, but do you not think maybe they could have pushed it harder if we needed the bandwidth? And I think the answer is both. Because I don't know if you remember this, Dan, but around the Furies launch and right before it, there were just dozens of presentations talking about how bandwidth scaling wasn't keeping up with teraflops. And they don't really talk yeah. about that anymore because I don't think it's as much of an issue anymore um, as it used to be. But I, I, I really do think it's both, QH. I think that... On the one hand, nodes stagnating means that maybe the graphics cards aren't getting as fast as they could be, so they don't need as much more bandwidth. But we also saw AMD bring out HBM and spend tons of money on that for Fury, for Vega, and then stop doing it once GDDR6 was around. Now, a lot of this is philosophy and how you want to design your graphics cards. You know, Raja, I met him in person. The guy loves stacked memory. Seriously. <laughs> so, like, he thinks, I think more so than other architects, that it is something you go on to drive for. Having said that, though, I, I, I don't know. I think that it's pretty obvious that, I mean, when you look at the 512-bit bus on the 290X and a lot of other products back, you know, about five, six years ago, and there's that 28 nanometer stagnation, that there were a lot of products that wanted faster memory. I think so. So I think if... If they could have easily had it, some for some reason, they could make <laughs> the RAM on 16 nanometer before they could make the graphics cards economically, that they would have been using it, and that it, the node stagnation really was tied to GDDR speeds as well. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, I, and then I think HBM is kind of, I don't know if lo lost isn't the right word, but it, it just doesn't become dominant because I think, it, it, I mean, it's still a lot more expensive than gddr6 and i think that was kind of a like on the fury was almost like a, a supplementary thing like okay i guess we can feed it more bandwidth but with this one thing this one year but yeah after they basically after they realized that they 20 nanometer just wasn't going to cut it and then they're like well if we bring out another 512 bit bus card I mean, is that even going to be enough for 4096 stream processors on the GCN mm -hmm. architecture, which they said no, unless we clock it insanely fast. But I mean, that would have made that card, that would have made the Fury X, instead of being like a 275 watt card, it would have become like a 400 watt card, which they said there's no way anyone would ever want a 400 watt card, which we're now learning might not be true. <laughs> <laughs> nope, people don't care if you do it slowly. I guess so, yes. If we... uh Think of PC gamers as a lobster being slowly boiled by increasing TDPs. Well, speaking of TDPs that are actually not increasing, let us move on to story number one. AMD Navi 33 and RDNA 3 details leaked by Moore's Law is Dead. Here's the write-up. On April 8th, yours truly finally started officially leaking specifics about RDNA 3 and its architecture. It was self-described as an early Navi 33 leak, but the summary was much more. Navi 33 is a product with the following properties nonetheless. A 6 nanometer monolithic die, 
a 360 to 460 millimeter squared die, with most sources thinking it's actually below 400 millimeters squared, 128 megabytes of Infinity Cache, the same amount as the 6900 XTs, 8 gigabytes of next-gen GDDR6 over a 128-bit bus. It needs to be emphasized it is next-gen GDDR6 because although the bus is cut in half of the 6900 XT, this RAM will be clocked much faster, and it will have the same amount of infinity cache that is arguably overkill for 1440p gaming, and that this card should have a TDP of 180 to 230 watts with 200 watts being the target and eight PCIe 5.0 lanes. A price targeting $400 to $500 is what's most likely considering that the bomb cost is stated to be at around Navi 22s, if not a little lowers. Because again, Navi 22 needed 12 gigabytes of RAM. This die is bigger, but the node's more economical. Six nanometer is than seven. It's more mature. So it should be a little cheaper than make the Navi 22. And uh, some other details leaked in this video about RDNA 3 also included that RDNA 3's architecture is not directly comparable to RDNA 2, like workgroup to workgroup, stream processor to stream processor. Think of RDNA 2 to RDNA 3 as like Turing to Ampere. You cannot directly compare compute units. The entire RDNA 3 lineup is also expected to win in efficiency across the entire stack of Lovelace. Now, We'll have to see if this ends up being true, but at least within AMD, they have utmost confidence that even if performance is close, they're going to have more efficient cards across the lineup. And finally, RDNA 3 launches quarter four with Navi 31 and 32 100% being multi-die. More to come on those dot configurations in part two of the leak. This was just part one, which, yeah, I mean, I, I basically took the liberty of going, which it was, I believe, like a 21, 22 minute video, like... If I did one big Navi 33 or Navi 31 through 33 leak, it would have been like 45 minutes. Yeah, which my Lovelace leak was 37 minutes. So I, I just didn't think that made any sense. And I thought because Navi 33 is a monolithic die, this was a good chance to just talk about the efficiency of the RDNA 3 architecture in general, because this is the monolithic one. This is the most comparable apples to apples to RDNA 2, especially because Navi 33 is on the same family of nodes as RDNA 2. Um, and I guess before I throw it to you, Dan, one thing I do want to emphasize here are a few things uh, that I think were misreported on some websites. So number one, a lot of websites said 7700 XT. In my video, I directly say 7600 XT. Could it be the, that Navi 33 is used for the 7700 XT? It could be. It, it could be. But I believe 7600 XT is the plan, especially if Lovelace is very competitive, which I, I think it's going to be. Um, also, I saw WCCF Tech use the liquid cooler in my video as a teaser for it. I do not think Navi 33 is going to be liquid cooled. I think it uses the same energy or well, in between the energy of Navi 22 and Navi 23. Um, and that's not an official cooler guys. That's a concept render for depicting. Well, you'll see a different die configuration that I know about, but you're the way for the next video. Um, and I guess the only other thing to add to this is, and I want to expand on this after I get your take here, but just, I do, I feel good that a lot of people finally seem to get my point with the eight gigabytes of RAM in Navi 33, like why <laughs> they would do that, why it might make sense. And then just me emphasizing, I'm not saying I want it to have eight gigabytes. I'm just explaining why they would do it. And it's not as crazy as I think a lot of people make it out, but we'll get into that in a second. I mean, what did you think of all of this RDNA 3 stuff? I mean, you've been, we've been talking about what I know about RDNA 3 for months. Yeah, I know. I mean, the things that stand out most it is the, you know, there's the PCIe 5.0 across an 8 
across eight lanes. I think that will probably be fine, even on 4.0 systems, but we'll see. <laughs> I, my, I, my contacts think it will be. We'll just have to see. I, I will say, though, I think the reason a lot of th- places are saying it, calling it a 7700, right? Yeah, XT, is because despite being the 33, some of the stuff does make it sound a bit more like a 700 than a 600, if you know what I mean. Like, similar size, similar price, and similar uh, uh, power usage. Well, you know, I think that's a fair... Uh, and I, And again, I think... They look at this and they say to themselves, 6900 XT performance, no way this is the 7600 XT. I, th- yeah, I that's think that's true. a big part of it, too, is they just can't believe this performance may come down to that. And I just go, why? The 6600 XT is as strong as the 5700 XT. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and if it's priced at the lower end and as a, six, as a 7600 XT... Eh, that that's what a twenty dollar increase in price over the current MSRP for the sixty six hundred XT, right? Yeah, twenty percent more price, same amount of RAM, double the performance. Yeah, which is, you know, e- even though there's an uplift in the uh, tier for tier pricing, at least it's a represents an upgrade in price performance, which we don't get much anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess. Um... When it comes to the die size thing, I didn't think about that, but I, I would just say, isn't it obvious dies are becoming more high-end for discrete cards? Like, I'm directly told AMD thinks APUs will be good enough to occupy the truly low-end. And I say truly low-end because, you know, I don't know if there will be a Navi 34, maybe. I have no information on that even existing yet, but I think people need to understand that, like, just because a Rembrandt APU on desktop, which I think is going to come to AM5, like, you know, they'll overclock it. It'll probably end up performing weak. It'll, it'll definitely be weaker than a 6500 XT. It'll probably end up performing kind of like an RX 470 at best. And although that's like, okay, you would say, well, that's less than half the performance of um, the card they have above it. Like, how can they say that occupies the low end? It is enough to game in, you know, low resolutions. And they just think either it can play games or it can't. And so... If you have enough for the people that don't really care about graphics and APUs, I think they want to make their non they want to make their gaming cards just beefier and cost a little more because they think that's where the market's going. I don't know if they're wrong or not. I I don't know if the market is being driven that way because the companies are pushing it that way or if there's generally less interest in the low end mm. except with a vocal minority of people that still want that. And I mean, it's understandable why people want that. I, I I just think it's hard to know if it like if this is a chicken or the egg situation. Well, and to add on to that, I don't have a link handy, but I know Nvidia reported in either a recent earnings call or some presentation that they've never seen more people upgrade tiers from the previous gen. Like they've never seen more people go from a twenty sixty to a thirty seventy, and you know. 2070 to a 3080 in any prior generation now again the counter argument would be yeah people had to because you didn't make any 3060s you made us buy 3070s <laughs> but based on the availability of each different sku and i think that's 100 true but still people did it if you're nvidia you're like well they're willing to do it so let's make things more and more premium yeah that's true and I mean, we already know an APU can be a mid-range <laughs> in performance with the consoles. So I, I do think at some point 
there's that space is going to be occupied by APUs and you know they're already relatively close I don't th- I think an APU stronger than a 6500 XT could easily come out next year yeah I think and, Phoenix I don't think Phoenix is still probably going to be but I think maybe it'll be close ish de- I think I think mm-hmm. Phoenix can definitely be at least as strong as an arc 6400 okay yeah I I, I just think if there's an opening in the market, something has to fill it if there's still desire for it. Or, I, And I think APUs are the way that that's going to go. We already, once again, we know you can build a big APU. It's not impossible. <laughs> uh, and even APUs that are coming out right now, I think, are indicative of a trend towards them actually being low-end cards to maybe maybe even in a few years are close to mid range or high at low end. Well, and again, I, I think I want to be clear here, even though there will undoubtedly be a huge performance gap between an RX 7,600, that is to say a cut yeah, down yeah. Navi 33 die and Rembrandt, an insanely huge performance gap <laughs> from AMD's <laughs> perspective. Does the a- APU meet the minimum requirements? What are the minimum requirements? 1080p 60, at some reasonable amount of settings, whether that's low, medium, or what. And uh, it is. You know, that's how AMD sees it. They're like, well, yeah, but we're going to charge like, I don't know, $200 for this Rembrandt APU that has the equivalent of like a 5800X and an RX 470 for $200. So that's where it is. Yes, the gap is gigantic between that and the, say, I don't know, 350 or, you know, yeah, like $350, 7600 or $400, 7600 But either it's enough or it's a not, and a lot of people just want enough. Yeah, that's true. Another thing I would add, too, about the die size thing is I think you're kind of, and you might say it's not a trend yet, but I don't know. I would disagree. I think you're just ignoring the trend of dies getting bigger in general if you say that the die size of Navi 33 is more like a... Uh, 30 is more like a two die instead of a three die. Um, the Navi 32, uh, I'm sorry, Navi 22, the die used mm-hmm. in the 6700 XT, has a bigger die size than the Radeon 7. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, this idea that like they're not getting bigger, granted, Radeon 7 was a die shrink of an existing die that was previously high end on a cutting edge node before anyone else, sure, but still, it's worth pointing out. That yeah. Navi 22 is the size of the Radeon 7, and Navi 23 is the die size of the, um, of of the Navi 10, their their previous lower high end card, the biggest card they had in RDNA one. So I don't know. I when I hear about a, and again, I think people get fixated on 360 to 460, and they're like, so it's 460. No, I think it might be like 380 millimeters squared for Navi 33. So what? 10 percent bigger than Navi 22. Yeah, Navi 22 is bigger than the Radeon 7. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, and I guess from like a power perspective, <laughs> this is going to be a, eh, if it only uses 230 watts, that's not terrible. It's just, I think this is going to, next gen is probably going to be a power hungry generation because that's what uh, Lovelace is setting the table for. I I think... And this, I'm kind of hinting at what I'll talk about in part two of my RDNA 3 Like, I, I think, yes, 
AMD's lineup's going to use more energy than before, but I think a lot of people are blowing this out of the proportion to what that means more like five watts more like it's not like mm -hmm. i'm saying double you know and do i think amd may have some limited edition 450 watt card maybe but the majority of the lineup's going to probably be 10 to 20 percent higher tdp than before so nothing insane N nothing insane guys yeah, yeah. like everything com even compared to you know relatively speaking rdna2 use less energy than a lot of their previous ones too. Like it's, it wasn't even the most power hungry thing they've ever released. I mean, I, I mean, look at Navi ton, look at the 6,600 XT. That thing used 160 Watts. I, I, yeah, it wasn't, you know, so now it uses 200. Eh. Yeah. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, and once again, even if it uses the top of your range, 230 Watts, that's, I don't think that's a thing. Most people meaningly fully care about, uh, on a system like you probably have a 600 watt power supply or plus i mean if you have a 400 watt power supply maybe you're gonna start running into some issues but I, I, no one buys 400 watt power supplies really yeah and I, I want to point out something else too about navi 33 because i just before i started recording the video when i was firming up my notes i just kind of sat for an hour and thought about everything you know the final gut check not that i don't trust my sources or like whatever but it's just like let's just make sure because i think there's some people that acted like there wasn't anything that new in that and it's like no i don't think anyone else said this thing's using 200 watts i don't think anyone i think i also said the die size is smaller than most people expect but if you just take a step back guys and think about it it none of it's crazy amd did this with rdna2 the navi 23 uses 160 watts you know so we're the 6600 xt uses 160 watts the 5700 xt use 225 watts same node and actually the 6600 xt is a little smaller so i don't think yeah, it's insane I... at all that they could take the 6900 xt performance and again reduce power consumption by about a third like they did before, especially now they're going to an improved node with better RAM. I, I think people are underestimating that this is just RDNA 1 to RDNA 2 all over again. Yeah, and, you know, one with 8 gigabytes of RAM, that will be fine to power 1440p. Ultimately, these terms that we use, let's say 1440p card, it's a 4K card, etc. That level of performance is variable and it changes year to year. <laughs> yeah, and, and I did want to take a second to talk about that here. Um, the whole idea of a 4K card, because this, all of my leaks involving Navi 33 are just st starting endless debates about if this can be called a 4K card, what a 4K card is. And I had an angry tweet I put out in the middle of the night, like like adding on to Kep what something Kepler said, where I'm just like, what are you guys even talking about anymore? And I think you're a good person to talk to about this, Dan, specifically because you've been gaming in 4K. You had like a six, an early Samsung $600 mm -hmm. 4K 60 monitor in what, 2014? Um, or was, or was it earlier? Yes, 2014. No, 2014. Right, so you've been predominantly gaming in 4K for a very long time. Now, the first card you got where it really felt like you were living okay was the the 398 gigabyte. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do any modern games at 4K, but... Without low I, settings I couldn't... or something ridiculous. Maybe even low yeah, settings, like, no. <laughs> I, I would ultimately do like 1440p a lot of the time with the 3090. Sometimes I could push 4K in some games. 
uh, Vega 56, I was able to do 4K in most games by adjusting settings and not real 4K. I would have 4K base resolution and then usually scale to like somewhere between 50 and 80% depending on the game. So like those were mostly, I would say, 1440p cards, but I think anybody that's would say either of those are 1440p cards even today would be like no they're not they're like 900p cards what are you talking about <laughs> but, it, but but that's that brings up an interesting discussion because i don't even understand what people are talking about anymore to a certain extent like people say the 3070 can't be a 4k card well dan you have a 6700 xt i have a 3070 we game all the time together and i think more often than not i'm getting better performance than you in 4k despite i have eight gigabytes and and hardware unboxed yeah. just pointed that out by the way. And his average, the thirty seventy beat the sixty seven hundred XT by nineteen percent on average in four K. So you're saying my thirty seventy isn't a four K card because it has eight gigabytes. It's beating this twelve gigabyte card most of the time, sometimes by a lot. And that's because what do you mean for you can't game in four K, guys? I have a four K one twenty monitor. I promise you the thirty seventy can. I just might use medium textures. And get well, 4K 100 with DLSS or something. And it looks good. Well, yeah, and it's like the standards have changed o over time. Like, curious what the first card that came out that, like, had a, a 4K in its advertising. 290X, and it couldn't even do above 4K 30. So I'm just saying, guys, standards change. And you got to be careful what you mean by you can, you can't game. Because what game are you playing? I can play Deep Rock Galactic in 4K on a 6500 XT. <laughs> Not, yeah, it doesn't yeah. make it a 4K card, but I do think that's interesting that it games about as well as a 3050 in Deep Rock Galactic. I mean, I, and that's just the standard for what a type of card means at this point to some means somewhere between like high to max settings, 60 FPS to 120 FPS, depending on who you're talking about. Like if it can hit that level of performance, that's what people call like a 4K or 1440p or 1080p card. because God forbid you have to lower a setting in 1080p. And I know this it's is not just, a 1080p card. Anytime we talk about this, there's just the downvote brigade shows up that gets real mad that they aren't getting 24 gigabyte cards for $200 because I guess we just are owed that by now. But I, I don't know what to say. It's just, it's a balance of bomb costs. Inflation's up 20% since <laughs> RDNA 2 launched, guys, unfortunately, and it's here to stay. Like, yes, shipping costs are down, but the people I talk to, they're like, shipping costs are going to stay for crates across the ocean, which is the most economical, probably double what they were in 2020, early 2020. Um, so there's nothing that can be done about that. And if what AMD does is they go, you know, they take the 5700 XT and three years later, they bring you something with double the performance and then charge an extra 50 bucks after 20% inflation, which is what I think they're probably going to do. 450, 7600 XT, 8 gigabyte. I don't know that you should complain that they doubled performance in three years, added $50 after that much inflation. I think that's kind of understandable. And yeah, it doesn't come with 16 gigabytes because then it would be a $550 card, but they don't think most people buying this card are going to have as much of an issue with the VRAM buffer because most of them probably are gaming in 1440p. And because it's below 500, they're willing to turn down a couple settings. Yeah. Now, the only other thing, I'm trying to think of anything else that I would add to this subject. I don't know. Let me get to a reader mail here. 
book. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> My dog, Reese, can testify to how hard it is to get me up some days. But at the same time, I'm also not 24 years old anymore. I can't just shotgun two whole pots of coffee during a work day and not have my gut get revenge on me eventually. So what is someone like me supposed to do? Well, I can use Magic Mind. Today's content is sponsored by Magic Mind. Magic Mind is a natural little elixir that utilizes matcha, adaptogens, nootropics, honey, and other herbal supplements to do what coffee does, and so much more. It boosts your energy, boosts your memory, boosts your mood, and increases your focus while decreasing inflammation and boosting immunity. Magic Mind can be taken with your morning cup of coffee or with your post-lunch cup as well, just so at the very least, you only need a couple of cups of caffeine a day to feel awake for many hours and not a whole pot. Trust me, I'm not a morning person and I do work long hours most days. This was a decent alternative that really did work and as opposed to drinking far too much caffeine and you should try it yourself. Go to magicmind.co slash brokensilicon and use code brokensilicon20 to get 20% off your first order. This really does help the channel and it helps you stay focused. Help your focus in a healthy way by buying Magic Mind today. Joyce Freddy writes in, again, wow, he's just dominating this episode. He says, do you think PCIe 5.0 could be a part of why Navi 33 should be more than fine with, and he puts it in quotes, only 8 gigabytes of VRAM? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 think the, I, I think the five lanes is something you might complain about more, is probably more likely to be something worth complaining about than the amount of RAM given the price, because it still just feels weird AMD keeps doing this to me. I honestly wonder yeah. if there's some kind of, like, ratio design cost where they're just like oh yep cut it in half and save money i, I really don't know <laughs> why they keep doing this with like the 6500 xt and this although again not the same as the 6500 xt but um i guess also qh freddy might be talking about the fact that it's pcie 5.0 means even though it has only eight lanes the lanes are moving data quicker yeah but that uh with pcie is really only more of an issue is it can supply enough bandwidth until it can't right um, yeah, yes and no. I, I mean, in the extremes, the answer is yes. Honestly, yeah. I've been testing the 3050, and it's actually done more fine than I expected as I lower PCIe lane. So I think that's true in the extremes. Okay. But it takes extremes, like a 64-bit bus at 2.0, and then it's like, <laughs> no, I just can't even load the game, man. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know when I'll get that video up, but you guys will see. Um. Uh, let me one more thing I want to say too about Navi 33 that I forgot to add that I I think people are just really underestimating because I've seen some people in the comments say things like what 6900 XT performance over a 128 bit bus how's that possible my answer is I don't know how do they bring you 5700 XT performance with a 128 bit bus <laughs> they keep doing this AMD and Nvidia keep doing this every generation where they find ways to make do with less bandwidth but also add more bandwidth at the same time. I mean I, I would uh, reply to that with how <laughs> with how are we delivering satisfactory performance over 256-bit buses constantly over the past, what, uh, 10 20 years? years? I don't like, know. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I mean, the, 60, the 670 was on, had a 256-bit bus. Mm -hmm. Like, the 560 Ti, right? Yeah, that had a 256-bit yeah. bus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I don't know why this keeps surprising people here, but it's, and you know, and the more I think about it too, like the design of this card, my final conceptual gut check I asked myself was, well, wait a second, Navi 21 was meant to be a high-end enthusiast card, so you gave it more than enough RAM, 
Uh, probably a bigger bus than it needed. And it's just there to not get bogged down and run enthusiast resolutions for a long time. But then if you were like, okay, well, now this level of performance needs to become mid-range or low-end, what mm -hmm. would you do? I would say, uh, I don't know. Why don't you remove 20% of the compute units? And then because it's on a better node, clock it 20% faster. And then that would make the die 20% smaller. <laughs> like they do oh, this every generation. And also to preempt the correction, I, I understand that the RAM got faster, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that, that's the point, too. Is <laughs> it's it's just, just like... It keeps doing that. Yeah. It's like the 6900 XT probably had more than enough bandwidth for resolutions below 4K. And so they're just like, yeah, look, 20% smaller die, clock at 20% faster. Uh, and then, you know, that's it. We're done. You know, it'll work fine below 4K with that much... Uh, bandwidth as long as it has infinity cache and it does the same amount so i don't know what else there really is more to add to it i mean i pretty probably overly vetted the information on this <laughs> <laughs> so let us move on though mr sideburns writes in he says hi tom just had a thought you keep noting that even though amd is making an mcm graphics card this gen that they are still going to be energy efficient yep so my question is, what does this mean for AMD's mobile products going forward? Are we going to see MCM Ryzen in laptops? Yeah, I believe we've already talked about that. I think it's called Raphael H. Uh, or are TSMC's nodes good enough that it's not worth the effort or cost to produce? Well, it's, it's yes and no. It depends on what tier performance they're going on and whatever. Like, for example, Navi 33 is kind of meant to be their flagship laptop card, I think, with RDNA three like that, that like if you look at the die size again it's right at that around 400 ish mm -hmm. range where that's pretty much the biggest they seem to fit into laptop form factors and so yeah that that that's still going to be monolithic and then i guess i don't know if they will put navi 32 in a laptop my they certainly could though based on the power usage i think it will have i mean the only issue i could foresee is maybe i'm wrong but with an MCM design, I imagine it could get big. <laughs> and maybe that won't be an issue for uh, 32, but 31, my guess would be it's probably too big for most laptop designs. Well, Navi 31, maybe, but I think people are also overestimating um, how big this is overall going to be. Like, if you look at, for example... The Fury X was the first graphics card to use some 2.5D tech, and it's HBM1. Uh, yes, its die was huge. Yes, it actually used a 1,011-millimeter squared interposer <laughs> that held the 600-millimeter the squared die and its four stacks of HBM1. But the overall package was much smaller than the 290X. And they fit yeah, Vega into some laptops because of that, that they couldn't fit other cards in. Yeah. That's true. So I, I would say because it's 3D stacked, no, I think I think people overestimate how big these are going to be in overall actual package size. And if they want to, they can certainly fit them in laptops. The question will become how much of an issue it is for cooling, how much they'll have to clock it lower. And again, I don't expect, for example, uh, I don't expect the 7970 or whatever they call it, right? 7950 XT. I do think it's one of those two names, though. I, I don't know... I don't expect it to be more than 450 watts. I think it could even just be as little as 375 watts, you know. But at the same time, a lot of, you know, once you're in a desktop where you can really spread out, stretch your legs with a big cooler, less of an issue. People may not 
I think people forget this a lot. I guess here's how I'd illustrate what I'm saying when it comes to cooling these 3D stack cards in a laptop. The Fury X used the same amount of energy as the 980 Ti. Everyone misremembers because it had liquid cooling that it was less efficient. It really wasn't. It was just as efficient as Maxwell. But they needed to use liquid cooling because it had to run at like 60 degrees so that the <laughs> HBM didn't run into errors. So that's all I'm saying is I don't know, like if it's a 375 watt card with liquid cooling, it'll still probably be smaller than most 4090s overall or easier to put into a case than some triple quadruple <laughs> slot 4090. But, you know, it still kind of needs the liquid cooling to get that heat away from the 3D stack dies as quickly as possible. I just don't know how that affects laptops. Mm-hmm. We got there eventually, Dan. I eventually figured out how to make my point. Spamtum Neo writes in, and he says, for the future GPUs that use an I.O. die, could they make two separate dies that can use either GDDR memory or HBM? So let's say an 8900 XT with GDDR6 and an 8950 XT with HBM, but they use the same compute guys and just different I.O. dies? Yes. And that's all I'm going to divulge right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of divulging, let's get into some other things that have been divulged about NVIDIA's upcoming architectures. Story number two, RTX 3090 Ti pin compatible with the 4090. And now I have a tweaked article here from Video Cards. There have been rumors about an RTX 3090 Ti cards being test vehicles for the next-gen ADA GPUs for a while now. And now this topic has been covered in detail by Igor Wasek, with the latest articles focusing on the new power standards. Allegedly, pin compatibility between Ampere's GA102 and Lovelace's 8102 has been communicated to NVIDIA board partners recently as they prepared their 3090 Ti cards. And additionally, a special 600-watt BIOS was also allegedly provided to them so they could start preparing for cooling solutions testing overclocked 3090 Ti cards when they bring out the RTX 40 series. This would hopefully speed up the development process and reduce the cost for next series as they can reuse these boards with minor tweaks for their Lovelace designs. However, there is more to this story. Apparently, the readiness for next-gen GPUs supposedly consuming even more power is visible with the naked eye if you look at the 3090 Ti boards, as reported by reviewers and summarized by Twitter user at GhostMotley. So here's some of the details. Many of the custom designs from Zotac, MSI, EVGA are missing components from the power delivery subsystems, which may not be needed for a 450-watt GA102 Ampere card, ergo the 3090 Ti, but will certainly be required for any six. 600 watt 8102 processor. There's also missing MOSFETs, VRMs, or even full 16 pin power connectors that have blank spots left over on multiple versions of Zotac and EVGA cards. The analysis performed by Igor's lab confirmed that the power connectors, which is now set to a 450 watt spec, can be modified with a simple PJP1 jumper to enable 600 watt compatibility on these boards. And interestingly, Even the official reference board for the NVIDIA RTX 3090 Ti Founders Edition has missing components. The V-shaped design that we've seen on these elaborate boards thus far has only been used by the Founders cards, but this is no longer true with many RTX 3090 Ti custom cards that have adopted the interesting cutout for the reference designs as well. All of these high-end GPUs from the... from the GeForce RTX 40 series are expected to feature the new 16-bit power connector. And I think this is worth pointing out again. The 3090 Ti has boards that, with a little tweaks, can power 600 watts. That does not mean they're going to use 600 watts. I think it's just clear that they're building these boards so that if you were to overclock them, they can sustain 600 watts. Again, I just point that out because it's like, I don't think we should assume the 4090 will be a 600-watt card. Could be. 
And I think when you look at the blanks for 16 pins on Zotac and EVGA boards, it's clear some AIB models will use 600 watts or more, unfortunately. But that it, the reference design could be 450, 500 watts. Just because the board can support 600 does not mean it has to use 600. Um, and the only other thing I'll add to this is it honestly makes a lot of sense. I've asked people about this, and they think, yeah, this is actually in some ways explains the release of the 3090 Ti better. They're doing this as preparation, and we've kind of been hinting at this, but this is a more direct mm -hmm. use of the 3090 Ti as preparation for Lovelace than I think any of us initially expected. It really is interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, this either speaks to the... <laughs> I, I don't know the other interpretation. I don't think I've heard anything about is that they had to drastically redesign and they're just now using this to beta test the uh, this, or that was like originally always the plan is they're using this new uh, design. I mean, because, yeah, I'm not like an expert on this on this mm -hmm. by any means, but yes, there are some very conspicuous uh, absences on the PCB. Right, and it seems way over-engineered even for a 3090 Ti. And again, yeah. you have other whispers concurrently going around that NVIDIA's already briefed board partners that they need to prepare for like up to 600 watts if they want to for their custom model. So I think, again, there we are, yeah, guys. So they would have to be designing for that net by now anyways then, right? Yeah, and this allows them to thermal test their upcoming coolers long before they launch Lovelace. And again, I've heard recently that NVIDIA is starting to try. I wasn't ever, I wasn't given specifics, but they're trying to do what, things to pull up Lovelace's launch a couple months so they can be 100% sure they're launching before RDNA 3 because they really don't want to launch after RDNA 3 is what I'm told. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I can't add too much technical information to that other than yes, I that looks like this looks like an over-engineered board that they didn't put parts on. Yeah, and I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Again, guys, here it is proof: these will not be 800 watt cards. Most at most 600 watts. Um, I really think a few months ago, and I've been very outspoken about this. People are vastly overestimating the power consumption of these cards. Again, I think. Guys, Lovelace was always targeting about 400 watts or more. Now it'll probably be pushed to 450 or 500 something watts. And RDNA 3 was always targeting up to about 375. Maybe they'll push it to 450 watts. But these ideas of like 600 watt RDNA 3 cards and 800 watt Lovelace cards, I, that, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'll just add, I think people continue to overestimate Lovelace's and a little bit of RDNA3's performance. Actually, a lot of bit of RDNA. Some of the freaking claims we had last year about RDNA3 performance were ridiculous. But I think people are continue to overestimate the power usage, kind of for both of them as well. And I, I think yeah, it, it, I think that is an interesting take. Some people would say that you see a 600-watt board and say, wait, you're saying we're overestimating power consumption? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're using a 600-watt board for a 450-watt card, not 800. I, I mean, am I wrong? This is, they usually over-engineer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yes, like you, Vega's 64's board was built to just work at like 400 watts. And I think there were professional versions of it that did, and that's why. Yeah, I, well, and also, like, that's engineering in a lot of ways. It's, okay, what's the theoretical, <laughs> what's the theoretical limit? Okay, add depending on the type of thing, 30% or if you're a civil engineer, I don't know, four times more. Mm -hmm. To the point <laughs> to that you safe. almost question if civil engineers even need to get the math right if their safety factor is <laughs> a factor of freaking four. Which, by the way, this is completely off subject, but that happens all the time. Buildings collapse because 
you'll have people like pass these inspections narrowly over and over because they built a safety factor of four, but they were off by a ton. And then the building collapses way too early and they go, why? It's like, you need to get the math right. Your safety factor is four, dude. <laughs> That's where you get some of those catastrophic like bridge collapses and stuff. And they're like, how did that happen? It's like, that's how. Or that you accidentally design a bridge that has a resonant frequency yeah. of. <laughs> that's a crazy video. Yeah. But um, anyways, let us move on to some other interesting boards and TDP stories. Story number three, RX-7, 6750XT, 6650XT are indeed targeting higher TDPs. And at least according to me, Tom at Moore's Law is Dead are probably going to have decent volume. All right, so here is the write-up. This will be quick. Video cards and others have reported that May 10th is the newly planned release date for the 6X50 XT cards. These are the 6950 XT, 6750 XT, and 6650 XT. And although it was reported by me and then that uh, April 20th was the original date, I can now confirm, I can back up video cards, guys. Yeah, I've also been told 100% May 10th is the new planned launch date for these models. Additionally, video cards has leaked pictures of the reference models, even if they're just concept reference models, of the 6650XT that shows a dual fan cooler clearly aiming for 180 to 230 watt TDPs. It looks like a 6700XT cooler. The previous 6600XT had a single fan, one like little baby cooler. Additionally, the 6750XT in this leaked picture shows a cooler that looks like something analogous to what the 6800 or 6800 XT has, a 250 to 300 watt TDP. So all of this directly suggests that AMD is planning to push clocks with these models hard with 10 to 20% higher uh, TDPs than their previous models. And this could make the 6750 XT, again, if they make this like a 250 or even like 275 watt card at like 2.8 gigahertz with 13% faster memory, I, I do think the 6750 XT can firmly be a in-between 3070 and 3070 Ti competitor that better justifies its street price above $500 and makes it so they don't need to make the 6800 anymore, which is good because they aren't making the 6800. They aren't making those. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> they basically aren't. And, you know, the same goes for the 6650 XT, which I think you give that a 200-watt TDP, really let it flex its power and core clocks as high as you can with 13% more bandwidth. I think you have a pretty firm 3060 Ti competitor that will justify being about the same price or still probably cheaper than... Because I think the 3060 Ti is becoming $500. The 6600 XT is gravitating down to 400 I think they want to bring out something that can directly trade blows with a 3060 Ti will be in 400 yeah, and you know, this seems to be what the the new trend is near the end of a generation. Bring out some cards that you know can maintain the price at where they're currently at, and you get a modest, modest, modest increase in uh in performance versus like the card it's kind of almost replacing. Although I don't think this directly replaces the sixty seven hundred XT, like you said, like it more replaces the sixty eight hundred, which mm -hmm. already doesn't exist. Yeah. And Bullethead writes in and he says, hey, Tom and Dan, what do you think about the 6750 XT having a three fan cooler? From what I understand, the 6650 XT refreshes, I don't know, it just seems completely unnecessary. Unless the point is to use up existing three fan coolers that they have lying around. Yeah, I think that's exactly what they're doing here. I think <laughs> they're not making 6800s anymore. And from my understanding, I guess they'll still be making 6800 XTs. But they are just like, well, we've got these triple fan coolers. I mean, now it's going to maybe be a 250-watt card. 
What are we going to use? Like, we don't want it to be loud. We're just, we're going to give it, we're going to give it the 6800s cooler. I, I think that's clearly what's going on here. Yeah, and as long as it's not pushing like insane fan speeds or something, or the fans are have a, this hasn't been an issue forever. What was it called? Like coil? No, that that's not wasn't with the fans. That was just card. As long as like it doesn't have insane whining or oh, too fast fans, it's not really going to be an issue. And well, and that's a, their, clearly their plan, right? That's why they're giving it a triple fan cooler, so they don't have to like overclock yeah. the fan on the uh, sixty seven hundred XTs fan. And having a quiet uh, graphics card is very nice. Although, would be nice to have a two-fan model or something so it can fit into more smaller cases. Oh, I'm sure there small... will be AIB models that do. Yeah, that's true. It's just, small cases are kind of like becoming a thing of the past. Uh, I mean, you could barely fit your 6700 XT in there because it has like a triple slot fan. Yeah. Even though like it's 2.5, like... but yeah. And, and you've reported, yep. The cooler on your 6700 XT is definitely overkill. It doesn't make a single noise. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, I enjoy my reference 3070 that is super compact, almost for, like, an ITX system and usually silent. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to this story, really. Uh, the only thing I can say is still no word on MSRPs. And I will say people at AMD, a lot of them really thought the 3090 Ti would have no MSRP. So I think, oh. you know... Like some of this delay is just making sure they they know what they want to do with their segmentation. Oh, and I guess this is another thing too that I almost forgot to say. Uh, my understanding as well is that they're holding back the launch. A major reason for this is they want a big launch volume. So think of like sixty six hundred XT grade launch when it comes to these cards or more is what I'm told. That again, guys, if you're gonna sell your old cards for inflated prices, do it now because it sounds like I don't know. It sounds like these might have MSRPs, and if they do, they're going to be launching at $400 in high-volume 6650 XTs, at $500 in high-volume 6750 XTs, and I don't know how your used 6700 XT is going to compete with that if you want to sell it for 600 bucks right now on eBay. Yeah, I am. <laughs> might be worth it. But I am excited to report that it sounds like a big part of the delay is they want to have high launch volume here. And that they, mm -hmm. they want to make up for lost time. They they feel bad that they didn't ship as many mid-range cards as they probably could have. I, again, I think AMD knows with RDNA 2 they messed up that even though they could trade blows in the top performance and even though those cards were profitable, they should have made like half as many Navi 21s and like four times as many Navi 23s. Yeah, that would have been nice for... Oh, then cards might... Uh, the Navi 23 range might be... Uh also not super inflated mm -hmm. yeah all right let us move on then to story number four r750 700x r550 600 and r550 500 ryzen 5000 sku's unceremoniously launched on april 4th amd unceremoniously launched some low-end ryzen 5000 sku's Finally, the summary is as follows. The R5 5500 is a 6-core, 12-thread CPU that actually utilizes the Cezanne monolithic die with its integrated graphics disabled. And that means, though, it only has three uh, Generation 3 PCIe, but it does have the full lanes, and it sells for $160. Now, from my perspective, this makes it fine as an upgrade for someone maybe with an old R31200X, maybe on a motherboard that doesn't support PCIe 4.0. I think that's where this makes sense, so you don't have to buy a new motherboard. But otherwise, I think the Alder Lake i3s look much more enticing. 
Additionally, there was the R550-600. Let's be honest, is just a 5600X now selling for 185 after coupon at Newegg. And again, I think if you have an AM4 motherboard, paying 185 to go from like a 3600 to this is cool or something. Or maybe not even 3600, maybe R5-1600 to this is cool. But again, if you're building a new system, for the same price, you can get an Alder Lake 6-core 12-thread i5 that I think is the better choice. And then there's the r 750 x Continuing this trend, look, guys, it's a 5800X for $290 on Newegg. And again, it makes sense as an upgrade if you have an AM4 motherboard already. But I do think new systems should go for the i5-12600K that's selling for the same price. So there you go. AMD is competition for low-end Alder Lake now. But is this too little too late to really make a big difference in the market? Dan, what do you think? Uh, I mean, probably. It's looks like it's fine as a competitor to keep people on am4 if they're still on it although if you're you know, you have am4 and you have like a six well i just don't see where what like the scenario is where you decide to get this because i i have to imagine you're on very old uh am4 at this point and right if you are just get all their like if you i guess if you can um like the, because like, frankly just the, to add on though like the top i3 alder lakes or even not even the top one just all of them basically they can trade blows with an r550 600x for like 150 or less and so i'm kind of scratching my head as to why you would get for the same price a saison six core 12 thread that's no better than the 5600x and lax bci 4.0 my answer is if you're on like a what would it be like an X370 motherboard with like an R5, R3, 1200X? And you're like, oh, well, I don't need Gen 4 PCIe and I can just put this into my existing system. If the BIOS has an update to support it, I don't even know if that's an issue right now. Probably is. So I, I don't, it's just hard. It's, I'm scratching my head at who this is for. Yeah. And I think they had to release something at this low end because. I, th- I really do think Intel's finally, like, rehabilitated the i5 mm-hmm. to the point, what, to like, what it was before, where, if we're being honest, most people probably don't need to go above the i5s, and certainly not above the i7s, really, for <laughs> to get great, great game performance, but I, I think with something as great as the 12400 on the market... Um, you have to have a competitor to it or you you look stupid. And I guess there's something worth remembering. Like, not everything has to sell for its MSRP. We're already seeing these come with, like, $15 mm-hmm. discounts and stuff. And you got a 2700X in 2019 for 140 bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's worth pointing out that AMD just seemingly doesn't want to lower their prices on AMD.com and they don't want to admit any price drops, but that they're not yeah. stopping these for being sold for less. So I think we're going to see, we're, we're, we're probably going to see these drift lower in pricing pretty quickly. I think you're going to see the 50, I think you're going to see the 5,600 X become 200, the 5,700 X become like 250. You're going to see the, 5600 become like 160 and the 5500 become like 130 and at those prices that's where you start going all right i can see the argument for buying this in a am4 mm-hmm. system over what intel's offering yeah speaking of other releases let us move on then to story number five r7 5800 x3d benchmarks leak and i am quoting here uh from guru 3d 
So the write-up is, well, this is not a comprehensive review. It provides a preliminary look ahead of the official testing, including comparisons to rival CPUs. I'm just going to spell it out. XANXO Gaming obtained a sample of the 5800 X3D CPU over two weeks before its official release date, which is April 20th. As it turns out, this CPU is rather easy to obtain in Peru, despite the fact that AMD has banned this person from being supplied the sample through official means. Anyways, the 5800X3D is a new 8-core CPU based on the Zen 3 architecture with 3D vCache technology, adding 64 megabytes of L3 directly on top of the compute chiplet. With such a huge cache, gaming performance is supposed to improve by 50% on average, at least according to AMD officially. Although it shouldn't show substantial differences in synthetic testing, like the ones presented by XAN. XO Gaming. In most single and multi-threaded tests, the forthcoming CPU, according to him, performs about as well as in Ryzen 750-700X. This is due to the fact that because it has vCache and gets hotter, it has decreased clock rates compared to the earlier Ryzen 7 5800X. For Blender, the 5800X3D outperformed the 5800X by a slight margin, though. However, neither Cinebench R23 nor CPU Zine or Bench 5 results are very noteworthy. So I guess this isn't surprising. AMD has given 3D vCache to a chip that already existed without any tweaks, and it doesn't provide much of a speed up in most apps. Um, although... Zanxo Gaming, whatever his name is, says that he does think that a UEFI or EGISA update may enhance its performance over time. Right now, though, in Shadow of the Tomb Raider 720p, the i9-12900K averages roughly 190 frames per second. The 12900KS, like a 250-watt i9, achieves roughly 200 frames per second. It was a 5% gain. And the 5800X3D is 230 frames per second. That is a 20% boost over the 12900K and a 15% increase over the 12900KS. According to the leaker, a video, additional benchmarks will get posted at 1080p and ultra settings. So I guess here's my final editorial on all of this. At the same time, other leakers seem to be stressing some games may have minimal benefits from VCA, so we're just going to have to see. But all in all, it does seem like the 5800X3D may prove to arguably take the gaming crown back from Intel in some benchmarking averages in a week and a half from now. But if it does, one, I think one should still hope that it would cost less than an i7-12700K that currently retails for $400 because, well, I mean... The uh, 12700K destroys it in multi-threading apps, <laughs> and it will still win in some gaming applications. So, yeah, I mean, there you go, guys. I, I, it's interesting. It looks like in some games it crushes the 12900KS, but then also, disappointingly, it's a 5700X in some multi-threaded apps. So I guess that's what we should have expected, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, anyone was expecting it to just comprehensively be better than the 5800x uh which i guess if it gives them a really really good gaming performance uh lead maybe it will be good for some people to get but you know i, th I just think all this says we have to wait for reviews because this is a, a really small snapshot and i i don't think it's clear how much better gaming performance it will even be it, because this could just be like one isolated fluke incident in a, you know, in a context that no one really plays video games. No one's playing Tomb Raider at 720p. Yeah. The latest game that just came out, Tomb Raider, uh, mm -hmm. in, in 720p. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, I think you need to see a lot, a lot more games and a lot more modern games how they run compared to like the 12900KS or even just the 5800X alone to actually draw a conclusion about its gaming performance. Yeah, I mean, I guess my takeaway from this is, well, honestly, the overall thing is this is a hard CPU to price because it's like, (laughs) what do we price this at? It might end up being the best gaming CPU, but then horribly worse in multi-threaded apps. And also sometimes it's worse in the 5800X because of clock speeds. (laughs) I think that all speaks to is something that may you can't sell it below the price of a 5800X. Something maybe fifty more dollars. Well, something. I mean, I don't even know what the 5800X real price is at this point. It's That's confusing to me. I, I think AMD just needs to freaking admit they're dropping prices, uh, honestly. And and I yeah. think maybe the 5800X 3D launch could be the thing that finally makes them do that because when i look at i mean they are they're officially saying the 5700x is 300 dollars. they're officially saying the 5600 is 200 dollars. and so it's like so then what the heck is going on with the 5600x the same price as a 5700x yeah. and i just want to make sure i'm not crazy <laughs> yeah, like this is making me go did i miss something like i'm going to amd.com 5600X is still $300 on their website. Okay, just making sure I'm not nuts. I didn't miss an official price drop. So I don't know. To me, it feels like they just got to, they got to drop the 5600X to 230, 5800X to like three fit. Hopefully three, honestly, it should be the same price because Gamers Next is found. They're the same. They're like literally like a percent apart. Or or maybe the 5800X is just, silently being discontinued. But I think we might have a scenario here where AMD launches i forgot hasn't that already leaked i'm honestly forgetting i think uh, i think video cards already said yeah 450 so i don't know maybe you know they launched the 5700x at the same price as the 5600x i think there's a good chance they're going to launch the 5800x 3d at the same price as the 5800x and then they just for some reason refuse to admit price drops uh yeah i don't know that seems to be the habit is to never acknowledge when the price drops for a for a CPU. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I think a big reason is is so when people are shopping and they find it on Newegg for like, you know, I don't know, two fifty, they're like, "What?" It's usually four fifty because if you admit the price is down, they're like, "Oh, the deal isn't as good." Oh yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a little funny just looking at it on Newegg. It's yeah, advertised as a twenty four percent sale, even though it's like been that price for months. Yeah. Uh, I guess the final thing to add, I don't want to put a link in the description because I don't even want people to go to it. <laughs> Today, while we were doing preparation for this podcast, we noticed i5-12600Ks on Newegg for $135, supposedly, and i7-12700Ks for like $180. i am like 99.9% sure those are scams, guys. I mean, I looked at the uh, the drop shipper, or, uh, drop shipping company that's selling it for that price, and they have about 30 products on their page. It looks like most of them are sold at some type of discount and they have zero reviews in the past six months. Yeah. So I, I know um, Gamers Nexus had this big uh, drawn out uh, screw Newegg videos when they got scammed by Newegg uh, for a motherboard, I believe. Mm-hmm. But this is just getting into like, it seems like outright 
Newegg is scammy Amazon at a certain point. I mean, it would be like if you saw an RTX 3080 for $500 on Amazon. Everyone would buy that right away. I, I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't exist. I think like when you look at an i5-12600K at like $135, this is clearly a scammer going, what's the lowest price we can go to where it's not entirely unbelievable for everybody? Because if it was like $50, no one would believe it. They just go, no. But at $135, they are like, well, it's still over 100 But what I said to myself is, wait, why what? Even if you somehow got a hold of like 1,000 12600Ks at half the MSRP or less, like a third, and you're like, great, now we can sell them for less than everyone else. No one else is selling the i5 below 200. Why would you not price it at like at least 180? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. These are clearly scams, and I can already see a new Gamers Nexus video coming <laughs> soon. Yeah, it's I, I I don't trust that at all. Not at all. Me neither. And maybe Newegg will give you your money back, but do you really want to go through the hassle of having to ship it back to them or finding out that they've taken a if I had to guess, like a Pentium and flash it to pop up as a i5 and CPU-Z and, but be somehow a two-core model. That's kind of what I'm guessing is going on here. Or they're getting damaged parts and they're running some type of uh, return racket. Yeah, maybe. All right. Let us then move on to the final story. Story number six. Intel seems to have misled investors with its ARC launch. And I'm quoting here from Tech Power Up. Intel in March 2022 kicked off its ambitious campaign to grab a slice of the consumer graphics market with its Arc Alchemist line of discrete GPUs based on the XE HPG graphics architecture. The announcement mentioned an immediate availability of at least the entry-level Arc 3 series GPU models and notebooks generally available. These GPU models included the ARC 350M and the ARC 370M. People on social media are beginning to ask Intel, though, why these notebooks are nowhere in sight, and the company responded on Twitter. In a response to one such query by a user, Intel support stated that laptops with ARC will be available by the end of the second quarter of 2022. This would put general availability in June 2022, two months from now. Interestingly, this hasn't stopped laptop manufacturers from raking in pre-orders with the likes of the Acer Swift X and the Samsung Galaxy Book 2 Pro up for grabs, in quotes. And they say you can now, and they put this in, quotes, purchase the Swift X, but shipping dates are stated to be as May 23rd and have now been pushed back on Acer's website to June 13th. A day later, Intel tweeted that Arc is out now. They're not lying. It's in South Korea. And they are... Rolling it out to other regions as quickly as possible as we speak. Additionally, if you look at some early ARC benches, you can see massively low GPU usage. So I think it's obvious that they are staggering launches as long as they can to fix drivers. Uh, At this point, you know, I I talked to you about this offline uh, before we started recording. I think I talked to you last night about this. Like, look. I've been pretty upfront. I, I think I distinctly remember one of my Alchemist release date videos from like February showing the, what is it, um, LA Noir picture of Press X for Doubt. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said that when Intel said it's launching quarter one. And I think I said in that video, it may not launch as late as like June. And, you know, then they came out and they said, no, laptops are coming out April. And it's like, okay. It's like, you know, some of my sources have been confused about the launch date of this for a while. And I think now you can, 
they can be forgiven. If my sources at Intel are confused about the launch because Intel's just lying to everyone, probably including to people internally about when these cards come out. And this explains why some of my sources are like, uh, I don't know if it's launching until quarter three or four, guys. This is ridiculous. I, yeah, it gets to a certain point where like I'm beginning to doubt it, what Alchemist is going to be, like if it's just going to be a buggy mess when it comes out. I mean, that seems like what that report says is early indicator says it is right now, at least. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's buggy. I guess I haven't looked at enough reviews to see if anyone's reporting bugs because some people have gotten a hold of these cards. I don't see any bugginess. I just see that when they look at GPU usage, it's like <laughs> it's like 45 to 70 percent using like 13 watts 20 watts while gaming so i don't know to me it seems like it's and it's funny i've been talking about that i'm like i'm pretty sure they're just their drivers aren't optimized yet they work but they're not optimized like i think yeah low-end laptop then low-end desktop then high-end laptop then high-end desktop because they don't they can't even utilize their cut down heavily cut down actually 350 m gpu well right now <laughs> like how, god knows they can't leverage something like 10 times stronger than this yet that I, I mean yeah that has to be what's going on and at a certain point like i think i said this the last podcast still like it, arc has been around the corner forever now and like at a certain point like i'll, I'll believe it when i actually see them on store shelves because this is just it's getting obnoxious how under their breath they're saying everything and how like well we're not technically lying there everything is with arc because it seems like that's that they can say they're not lying with every claim they make but like just barely not i mean you know when i look at this it's just like this is taking like misleading people and paper launching to like a whole other level of just it is just lying i mean you have links that say buying up for sale now when you click purchase the swift x said shipping may 23rd yeah i mean and then they push it back to june 13th i remember in like those uh earlier videos about this where you pointed out that they said on shelves whenever uh at this point um and you i remember you directly asking me would they be that pedantic about that and i said oh yeah yeah and i was like uh, this i I almost felt like it's getting a little bit tinfoil hatty but now at a certain point it's like i'll believe whatever deadline or whatever whatever time point something will be delivered to market like i'll believe that intel arc desktop desktop graphics cards are available to purchase from newegg when in their advertising they'll say on newegg q3 or something like that, because clearly for sale means, oh, you can buy it. You can't have it yet, but you can buy it. That's what for sale means, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else I have much to say about the release date itself. I, again, I knew since I think, when was it? I don't know, January, that one of my best sources was saying that he heard something crazy, that the reference models are launching after the AIB ones, and they might not even launch until quarter four. And I said to myself, well, I can't get anyone else to confirm that, so I'm not going to run with it. But then I just decided to confirm it in a recent video that I had heard that after seeing special edition reference model quarter three. So I'm like, wait, so let me get this straight, Intel. This reference model cooler that I leaked a year ago, and then Video Cards has leaked early this year, 
that might not launch until quarter four. I, I'm starting to believe that when you say special edition reference quarter three. Cause, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, that's the that's the special founders edition. Like Vega Founders. Raja Kadori also did that before actual Vega comes out. Yeah, it's the well, the uh <laughs> reversed founders edition. The the heavily settled edition. So I don't know what to say to people, except that I think it's obvious. Uh, here's how I would put it. I don't want to say this, but at a certain point, I have to step back and like play devil's advocate against my own thoughts and go, do I actually think Alchemist is launching quarter two, or am I trying to convince myself it will? Because mm-hmm. when I look at the information, when I see special edition Alchemist discrete high-end cards launching quarter three... I'm forced to conclude that Alchemist high-end desktop is probably not launching until about a month before Lovelace at most. That is kind of what I think now, guys. And at the end of the day, if that's what it is, we have to just say, well, it's not mid-range. It's, I mean, it's not high-end uh, Alchemist at this point. It's mid-range Alchemist. And, and you know at what? Best. Uh, you know, and I don't know what they'll price that goddamn thing at. Hopefully $300 because they're going to need to to compete with a 4050 Ti. But yeah, I, I just sit here and I go, until you fucking lie to investors, you did. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is obvious, and they need to be called out for it. Yeah. <laughs> and the only good news I take from this news that just came out is the potential is still there, guys. <laughs> when I look at a 350M running at like 50% usage, only 30% weaker, Then a 1650 that uses 30% more energy, I go, okay, so if it used double the energy, had double the usage, and actually had the 96-bit bus enabled instead of just a 64-bit, we're looking at like 1660 performance they can sell for 150. I just hope they launch that within a couple Mm -hmm. months, because that would be way better than a 6500 XT and way more reasonably priced than a 3050. Yeah. I hope... I don't know anymore, guys. It's getting Intel's lying to you. So they're lying to me and they're lying to themselves. And I've always had sources that thought this might not launch until quarter three. And now we know it's just prob- probably, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just depressed to say it. Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. As I put together a new benchmarking station for 2022, I know that whether it's running Windows 10 or Windows 11, I will be getting that key from CDKeyOffer.com. And that's because it's a reliable, long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring a game that i'm enjoying quite a bit whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you go to the link on screen or in the description you can use code broken silicon to get 25 percent off microsoft products and dieshring to get three percent off everything else on the website using these codes really does help moore's law is dead and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that frankly you just have to use half of the time so again use the link in the description use broken silicon use dieshring depending on the products you're getting and pay reasonable prices for keys today at cdkeyoffer.com 
Alrighty. Let us then move on to another ridiculous Intel story. And it is the first one in the wrap up. All right, guys, we need to address this Ocean Cove Zen One Block diagram bullshit that was posted as well. I, I don't know how this happened. I need to kind of control myself from getting mad at some of the publications that ran with this. But this was just a failure of reporting at like all levels. What we have first is actually a tweet I'm now noticing is deleted, where I believe it was under Fox on Twitter said Ocean Cove had a certain path. I actually woke up that morning responding to Ian Cutress's response to this, which he believes this whole patent Intel had showing a CPU diagram similar to how Zen One's organized was probably just some project they gave to an intern. And I said, well, if they did, this was published in like, well, I thought it was 2018, 2019. I believe that's around when Ocean Cove was canceled. So maybe they let the intern call it Ocean Cove <laughs> because it's canceled. And then someone in the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, I think it was AC666 said, the patent doesn't even mention Ocean Cove. And I'm like, wait, there's a mention of Ocean Cove. Why is every article mentioning Ocean Cove? And then I found out it's because Underfox called it Ocean Cove because he heard of it in 2018, four years ago. Mm. Guys, Ocean Cove was canceled four years ago. The patent doesn't mention it. Underfox just called it that because that's the last thing he heard of. And then every article ran with this thing, Intel Patents Zen Architecture for Ocean Cove. This was, re- I, this was bad. Yeah, I know. And uh, I, I don't have too much to add to that other than like... Pan- I, I honestly think these articles shouldn't have been updated. They should have pulled like, the articles. Pan- patents uh, come out all the time. And for some reason, there are always articles about patents. And sure, sometimes they become a thing that's really there. But I, I can remember all these uh, stories all the time about, about a patent being filed. And it's like, does this mean the PS5 is going to use cartridges again? No, it didn't do that. <laughs> like, yes i know that stop was one paying of them. So- these companies put out tons of patents every year they're just trying to protect any idea that might have any value you can patent literally anything if you think it if it hasn't been patented before and it you think it has a novel use there's a dude that patented curing cancer with aluminum like electrified aluminum balls or something. And it's like, it doesn't work, but the patent exists. <laughs> and I saw some people making arguments and discussion boards about how, well, yeah, but you don't just patent something. They're expensive. And it's like, doesn't our mom have 10 patents, Dan? Probably, yeah. And I think we have an uncle with 50 patents. Yeah. So it's not that hard, guys. No, it isn't that expensive for Intel to just throw out a patent at, at all. Well, obviously, and like they're, uh, yeah, they're, the companies they work for obviously sponsored those, the right. finances for that. But yeah, like big companies file patents, though, like routinely. And so I, I do think there is in general, and you're right, especially when it comes to like PlayStation and Xbox stuff, especially PlayStation rumors always go crazy with patents, I feel like. The patents don't mean anything, guys. <laughs> they don't mean they're going to do anything. They've had patents for like weird disconnectable controllers and like bizarre touchscreen stuff forever that never means they're necessarily going to come out and that's before we even get into these throwaway patents where i'm not even again like you said you read ian cutris's reporting on this ridiculous notion and he you really are kind of convinced this was a pat a interns project at intel a few years ago yeah i mean, I mean that's what it's kind of sounds like <laughs> so i don't know guys i did have to mention it i know ian cutris already did a video on it check that out and plenty of <laughs> tweets and articles. It's just it, Ian Cutris is more, more knows the technical stuff more, so I'm sure he provides good insight on it. It's just this is 
bad reporting. And I, I, Ocean Cove is not still enabled. We already know, by the way, it's Raptor Lake, Arrow Lake. And then there's also Meteor Lake and Lunar Lake. I think Intel's publicly said Lunar Lake. I'm aware of two other lake code names that come after that. One of them, I think, might already be canceled. Plenty of future Intel architectures get canceled. Ocean Cove is not coming out. Mm -hmm. All right. Next story in the wrap-up. Maybe that should have just been its own story. Um, We have Intel rumored to launch an Alder Lake X, which I believe I've heard of that somewhere. I heard of this somewhere... And I and they and actually video cards references my Fishhawk Falls information. To me, this sounds like some kind of a, a version of Alder Lake that they might put on a Fishhawk Falls, like kind of like Cavey Lake X platform mm-hmm. for their mainstream workstation. That's what it seems like to me. I, I don't know. This I think this is worth mentioning. I don't know they have a whole thing to say about it, but it, it looks like there may be some kind of an Alder Lake X. That would be cool is if it was 16 big cores. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I am I am curious to see like what those turn out to be on uh, on Alder Lake X, if that's a thing that's coming out. Well, if that's a thing that's coming out anytime soon, because it would be interesting to see if more efficiency or more uh, power cores are used. Yeah, and I guess I don't know. I guess I also know that Sapphire Rapids is four tiles of 15 cores. So I wonder, which again, for those who don't remember, I, I'd leak Sapphire Rapids goes up to 60 cores, according to what I mm-hmm. know now. They're going to enable the whole thing. I almost wonder if like a Alder Lake X is just one of those tiles of 15 cores, maybe with one of them disabled to 14. Mm, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, and then, of course, it could just be like eight big cores. That's it. They fused off the little cores and enable AVX 512 because they have recently fused off AVX 512 in the mainstream platform. Yeah. So could be that too. Um, also, there have been rumblings of an ARC uh, SOC 3. For those who don't know, SOC 1 is the 512 execution unit one. SOC 2 is the 128 execution one. Now, supposedly, according to Intel, out in laptops. And SOC 3 would be a 256 execution unit, like 128-bit model. I've always known about 256 execution unit models being tested in limited numbers, but those have all, up until now, in testing, been disabled SOC 1 dies. Yes, they just cut the die in half for some reason. Um, now, or cut it down by 50%, I should say. Um, I don't know. Now there's a chance they've been testing that just so they can test that thermal performance before they have a smaller die to put on those coolers. Although you'd still, you know, I don't know, want, you know, to test it with the real die. All I can say is when I ask contacts, I mean, people who have the dies in their hands, guys, about this SOC3. None of them see this as anything coming anytime soon. When I look at how long it's taking to launch SOC1 and SOC2, I press the doubt button again about if they'll have time to launch SOC3 before freaking Battle Mage is out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a conspicuous gap in their uh, their lineup, but at the end of the day, if this is being launched on... <laughs> if, if this is being launched... If high-end ARC is being launched almost up against, like, the release of Lovelace, there might not even be a place to release this to desktop. Mm-hmm. I'd say there's no point. Like, why? Just make more of the 128 execution unit models. Sell them for mm-hmm. as little as you can and get out of here. I don't know. <laughs> um, also, there was this report from, what was it? Uh, I think it was Korean Business Insider that said 
that TSMC, behind the scenes, TSMC may be the sole provider of GPUs to NVIDIA in about within a year. And I don't know what to say about that, except that I just remember, guys, that's a rumor. And I believe NVIDIA publicly said they want to keep making Ampere for a while. So this idea that like things have soured between Samsung and NVIDIA and only TSMC will be making all NVIDIA GPUs soon, it's definitely possible. But I don't know. These these rumblings of them saying Samsung fumbled, I don't think... My understanding of Samsung's yields with Ampere are fine right now, actually. Yeah, and, and we'll see. Like, I, I, when they say sole provider, I think... I, I kind of took that more to mean that they're going to be the that all of their next gen cards are going to be on TSMC, and I don't know if it necessarily. You mean like Blackwell? Yeah, and I I don't know if this is necessarily suggestive that they're going to stop making uh, Ampere cards uh, immediately. Like there's going to be a clear point where they just stop making them and go all the way to uh, Lovelace. Which, I mean, mm. I, I doubt they'll continue making them. I doubt they'll continue making Ampere cards for an incredibly long time after Lovelace is out. But we'll I see. don't know. If I was NVIDIA, I just keep thinking about it. Yes, if they want to, and it, it seems like they're making an 8107 die, they can use that to make the 4050 Ti, which it seems like they're going to. But I just feel like either you just want to keep making 3070s and selling them for less. Yeah. Or maybe. we already know there's, you know, laptop you know, GA104 cards that use 80 watts. Why not just make a 125, 140, you know, 50 watt version of the 3070, call it the 4050 Ti and just spit those suckers out. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's something I wonder, but I think you'd want to do that because I do keep hearing that NVIDIA wants to ship a mountain of cards next gen so that even if AMD has a better architecture, they can't outship them. We'll just have to see, I guess. Um, it's just interesting to, it's just noteworthy to point out those conflicting reports. And finally, in the wrap up, we have the RX 6400 cards on sale. Gotta say, don't have much to say about this, Dan. We got a, <laughs> what is it, 12 yeah. compute units from Navi, 24 and 53 watts, four gigabytes. Yeah. Yep. It's, it exists. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, I'll probably say this in my 6500 XT review. I really think that there was one way AMD, because AMD with the 6500 XT kind of pissed off everyone trying to make everyone happy, I feel like. They wanted something miners couldn't use, 4 gigabytes of RAM. They wanted to try to get it to RX 590 performance with a die that was so small they could make a million of them. I feel like they should have just taken the L on performance, clocked it 10% lower, because in my testing of the 6500 XT, it's never like using more than 90 watts, like even when I have the plus 15% mm -hmm. power usage. So I know it says 107 watt TDP in gaming. I don't see that happening. I think they could have removed performance by 10%, made it a 75 watt card, enforced AIBs to not put these freaking double or triple fans on this glorified 75 watt card. Told them, no, make them cheap coolers like the 750 Ti and made this 150 and just 10% weaker, 150 bucks and called it the RX 6500 or non-XT or 6400 XT. And I think people would have cared less about the bandwidth issues because it would have firmly been a low-end card. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. When I look at this, I just am like, what is the point of this little piece of crap? Like you just <laughs> should have made it from the get-go, the top die a little weaker and used less energy. I don't know. Yeah, I... I... I don't know. 
I guess it can be sold for cheap, and that's the point. It really is a good 1080p card, but trying to push it into some territory it wasn't just seems like, I don't know, the 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 what is it? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, but the road <laughs> the, to hell they yeah. took. All right, let us then get to the final reader mail. Beefish36 right in. Writes in. Jesus, I'm getting tired. He says, your latest conversation on Broken Silicon, where you were discussing the uses for a 2x to 6x improvement in graphical power, got me thinking. So I assume that was with an ex-gamer. It was, how likely do you see this depressing, not increasing consumer prices below the high end? As you've stated with resolution, people are willing to pay more, but not a ton more. Could you see a scenario, especially in which a robust used market returns where consumers say, hey, I'm fine with 1440p. I don't need a new graphics card to do it. And weak demand pushes prices lower outside of the enthusiast space. Yes, that's kind of what I've been hinting at. Uh, maybe I didn't make it eloquently, succinctly, coherently in that broken silicon. But I, to my memory, that was my point, is that if we get to stuff that's six times stronger, I think you're always going to have enthusiasts pushing for it. In a recent die shrink with a guest... Um, the government engineer came on for a die shrink, actually, where he, we talked about how there's a good chance the enthusiast GPU market's going to start looking like the enthusiast audiophile market, where it's like, because of MP3, because of where we're going with a lot of equipment, you don't really need big storage amounts or like high-end devices to get decent sound. We have audiophiles going, nah, way, man, I want my my files to take up 100 megabytes and be completely uncompressed i almost feel like that's what's going to happen to high-end enthusiast cards like yeah man no dlss native 8k i'm not taking anything below that and i think that's what you're going to see and that's why you're going to see prices go up in the high end but i think so beefish i think in the low end we could see actually yes depressed demand as people go dude my 7600 xt obliterates 1440p 200 hertz gaming I don't need more. You can price it whatever yeah, you yeah. want. And then like even further down the road when you're looking at it, like the, the only thing is at a certain point you'll need like replacement level graphics cards. And at a certain point it's going to be like 10 years down the road. Like, oh yeah, most people are fine with just having an APU or something because it <laughs> an APU delivers 4K 120 hertz or something. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't think that's going to happen soon, but in five years, it could be. And it's like, dude, my APU does 4K 120. Who cares? Maybe I got to turn off, turn down ray tracing or something, whatever. But it doesn't have uh, terror rays. Ta terror rays. Terror rays. But yeah, Beefish, absolutely. That was kind of my point. Maybe I didn't make it well that I could totally see that happening in the low end where the high end just becomes even more expensive. Suzuka writes him, as technology progresses and PC gamers adopt higher resolutions, CPUs seem to be becoming less relevant. 4K is the great equalizer, as adored, uh, Jim at Adore TV used to say. Do you think CPU manufacturers will switch their philosophy from more frequency IPC and cores to accelerators to assist with gaming-related workloads in an attempt to stay relevant? Um, I mean, I say yes and no. Consoles have eight cores of Zen 2. The PS5 is the equivalent of over a dozen cores for its I.O. work, actually. And the, I think the Xbox Series X is the equivalent of like four to six cores for I.O. work. So no, more cores are going to be needed once we start really doing asset streaming well. Um, and, and in other words, I think if you want a game above 60, you're going to need better than a 3700X, like a lot better. But I think you're going to have plenty of time to get there. I don't think you need to rush out and buy something. I don't think that's happening right away 
And I also think 4K being the great equalizer is a temporary circumstance. I, I really, I yeah. think what's going on, the analogy I made here in the notes, with stagnating on processor performance if you're gaming in 4K, especially if it's 4K 60, is that this is kind of like Sandy Bridge i3s. There were a few years where Sandy Bridge i3s, Ivy Bridge i3s, Haswell i3s, were arguably by far the best price performance CPUs. I remember plenty of people with Sandy Bridge i3s in like 7870s. And yeah, the Sandy Bridge i3 is as good as a PS4's processor, if not better. Well, yeah, that was like the golden age of the i5, where it's like, no, there's literally, like at this point, there's no reason to get anything above an i5 for gaming. Yeah. So I think that's what we're seeing now. I think it's the start of a new generation. We've been on, because of Zen 1, doubling core counts, and now we have doubled it again with Zen 2 and just kept upping IPC steadily from there. Yeah, I mean, I think short term, we've seen a thing where the, C the console's coming out with eight cores. It's like, yeah, whatever. I've got a 5600X. Dan, you've got a 2700X. May not be Zen 2, but it's clocked 20% faster than the consoles. You got a 5600X. Yeah, it's six cores, but it's got 20% more IPCs than the consoles and it's clocked faster. So I think that's temporary, though. I think right now in the consoles, they're barely using the I.O. well. And you're going to see, I mean, a harbinger, a canary in the coal mine of this is Division 2 loads pretty massive areas pretty quickly. But I've noticed my 3950X get to 100% usage because I have a Gen 4 SSD that it can fully saturate those cores. And that just tells you when we get to games that need to use, I don't know, four to eight cores to stream in assets quickly, if you want a higher level of performance, you're going to see a thing where it's like, Oh, no, if you have a faster CPU, you're getting higher frame rates big time. Yeah, and the only thing that would replace that, I guess, is if they choose to start putting those same I.O. accelerators into CPUs as well. Which but. I think there's a decent chance they might, <clears throat> you know, mm -hmm. or something in there. I think they're, But I don't think that's happening for years. And I think the first thing they're going to do is neural engines that will be used for different things. So I guess to answer your question is don't be so sure we're not going to see... I talked to NX Gamer on the last Broken Silicon, and we he seems convinced that despite we haven't seen it, we're going to see truly next-gen games on the PS5, at least, and maybe the Series X at the end of this year. And that's where you're going to go, oh, okay, now they're using the SSD and I.O. <laughs> and I think when that happens, and we start getting third-party games that do that in 2023, I think I did a video that talked about that in 2020, actually. <laughs> you're gonna That's when you're going to start to see these cores really start to get flexed on PC. So... That is going to happen, I think, still. And also, there will be accelerators, for sure. Um, I mean, I don't think you need 24 cores. They're going to be like, here's a neural engine. Where Takis writes in, and he says, I was listening to the latest Broken Silicon. Is there a case for graphic settings that are too high or low in a game? You talked about full or 2x resolution lights not creating a perceivable difference, but Minecraft, as an example, limits the slider for render distance in FOV. Mods allow for more, and they just work, so it was clearly a decision to limit it. At least he's saying on his system he can put in mods to up, like, FOV distances and stuff, and he doesn't get better performance. Well, you might not, but I will say, my desktop with a 3950X really fast RAM yeah. and a 3070 can have insane view distances, but it can crush my laptop even with a 6-core comet lake sometimes but um he goes how do devs decide where sliders should stop well you know i i think they stop it when they think it becomes absurd i mean that's at least for max that's what i think it is and that's kind of what it's always been or ultra is like a lot of the time the differences between ultra and high in video games is quite literally like 
you have to pause it and like <laughs> like forensically analyze what the differences are. Like, they're not significant most of the time. And, you know, I have 12 gigs of RAM on my uh, in my graphics card, which is enough for me pretty much to turn like textures to max every in every game. But it's it's not strictly necessary. Yeah, I mean, and. So wait, was this really when this was shown off? I'm just looking for an example here uh, of what I'm about to say. So I believe Dying Light 2 was first shown off and like revealed to be a thing in like 2018. And it was presumably in development before that. So what you've got to think about too when it comes to some of these sliders is, yeah, okay, so let's say you get Dying Light 2 now. And if you have a 3090 Ti and 4K 120, oh, you can mod it and run it at a higher setting. Well, this game was started development in like 2017. So back then, what the hell were they using for their sliders? Not Turing mm -hmm. wasn't out yet. They were, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I think you can assume that that's a little extreme. They probably had the sliders based on stuff halfway through development. But even then, yeah, you're looking at stuff with a 2080 Ti or Titan RTX. And a lot of times they would just develop on 2060s and 2080s. And because back then they're like, well, this is even stronger than a 1080. So why would we assume anyone has something better than this? And, you know, th they were using like 2700 X's and, or, you know, 9900 K's and Titan RTX's. And so if you max out that slider and it gets 30 hertz in 4K, well, that's why they did that. Because they're like, this is already getting absurd. They weren't planning for a 3090 Ti and an 5800 X3D or all like yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's where a lot of those sliders come from where you go, why didn't they make this higher? Well, when they started development, that that was already crushing their performance is probably the answer. Yeah. All right, Dan, that is going to do it for this episode. I feel like we've had, you know, finally a normal set of stories here that wasn't scrambling to cover a bunch of crazy stuff last minute in a normal length. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was nice. Uh, let me see here. Is there anything else here? No, nope, I think that's all of it. I mean, you know, what I would just say is, you know, thanks for listening. Remember to s check that you're subscribed to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel. Ring the bell button so you don't miss the upcoming leaks, so you don't miss you know, the other drops of content. You know, subscribe to Broken Silicon on your podcast app of choice. Please give us a review, especially on Apple iTunes. That rises us through the charts and gets us noticed in places besides YouTube. It really does help. And if you have the extra money, supporting us on patreon it pays me pays dan pays gerard pays our current rendering person who still won't confirm if he wants to get credited with his real name yet you know and, and it's gonna hopefully supply uh support a growing team and a team that makes it so that we don't <laughs> we can have more help so we don't record in the middle of the night all the time i don't know guys we can't do this without our patrons please consider supporting there you'll get this early and ad free and um otherwise i don't know dan any last words no i don't think so well Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans... 
patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad al Qurai, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, BBC 6800XC, Big Sexy, Jan Rano, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Ringelman, Joaquin Hagen, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wachick, Andrew S., Dane Golanowski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy E. Good, Valko Malev, The Boss, Haas, I Love You, Lennon, Jim, Spamptum G, Spamptum, Jonathan, Jeremy So, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuriz, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name is Nobody, Caillou Markelli, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tam, or in parentheses, I Survived Rush Hour 2, Christopher A. Butler, Jeremy Scanlon, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Mead and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jaskaria, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zoot Suit Taylors, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Benjamin Oshley, Sammy Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Grow, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Dale Russell, Arcane 311, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, John Wasink, Domain Peterson, James Anderson, Y Truy, Mark Raidmaker, Falling from Sky, 3DS Boy 08, Al Buma, Narithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Justin N, F7, GOS, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Sylvanus Noo, No Coella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Powell, Zegartowski, Zabbeat03, Desist, Thomas A. Teef, John DeBunt, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Aria, Moore F1 US, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Garrido Sanderson, David Eastland, Fire Falcon on YouTube, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Eric Osborne, Loophole35, Windstar Joker, James I. Wright Raider and Corey Leonard. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>